Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. We are live, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Just let us know, drop a message in the chat if you can hear us. Just, just let us know if you can hear us. We are live. Good evening, guys. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. And um, welcome to the Sound of Oprah podcast. Yes, we are live. We are live indeed. Just have to check. Uh, yeah, please drop a message in the chat if you can hear us. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Um, yeah, just let us know if you can hear us. I'm joined today with Kwame Christian. He is the founder and the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Uh, what's up, Tessa? Tessa says, hey. Uh, what up, Tessa? I mean, Tevin, sorry. Tevin, thank you for your um, emoji. Um, yeah, you can hear us. Great, 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 great. Awesome to hear that you can hear Perfect. us. I'm really excited. I'm gonna. It's time to get the word out that we are live. So tell a friend to tell a friend that we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so just to let you know, um, if you have any questions for, for Kwame today, please drop them in the chat and we will get to your questions as soon as we can. Um, we are going to have a quick discussion about um, Kwame's, um, what, what Kwame's been up to as he recently came on the show um, a, a couple of years ago. We're also going to see um, what he, how he came to launch his new book and how the success of his new book has been going on and what he can share with his new book. And also, um, we're going to obviously try and discuss some other things, some exciting things. So please keep a, keep a look at the Sound of a Crowd podcast. Um, we'll be right back. Just don't go anywhere. Kwame Christian, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Sound of a Crowd podcast. Welcome back, actually. Welcome yes. back. Welcome back. It's great to be back, man. Uh, listen, I was vibing out to that music. I need to get on your level. That's some cool music, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um, that's that's um, that's a snippet of the music from the season three um season three of, of the show um so that was that was a really good uh theme theme song right there but i'm glad glad you're vibing to it man i'm glad you got your bestseller smile back <laughs> brought it Thank back you. brought it back brought it back uh once again guys if you have any questions uh for um kwami um please do get them into the chat and we will read them out if you even want to join the and ask him a question live on video please let us know and uh yeah we will we will get you on to the show live absolutely absolutely so kwami welcome um before we continue uh let's see what we have so um hey Haley says hey everyone looking forward to listening in can hear adrian loud and clear thank you so much Haley. um you are appreciated um appreciate your kind words all right so let's get into the show so kwami look it's, it's been a been a while since we since we last had a conversation um, I, I believe we had you on the show on season two in january 2020 and i think that was bef just before lockdown i think it was just before lockdown when everything started yeah wow that's crazy it feels you know we, we're talking about covid years so even though it's two years ago it feels like it's been eight years man so it's good i'm glad to be back <laughs> it's great to have you back and clearly so much has happened since you know we, we last had a conversation you've gone and written another book you've you've launched a few more courses you've um of course you've had you've got this amazing partnership with linkedin with your podcast and and you've got some wonderful amazing things that you've achieved so i want to continue to congratulate you and say thank you for what you're doing for us you know and around the world and also for what you're doing in the negotiation community it's it's really really um amazing and you know i was actually listening to um one of one of your interviews today and um it was quite interesting because um in one of the interviews that um you were in today um they they were talk they were talking about how essentially like how how it was good to practice negotiation so you you were in a car with someone and then you're pretending to negotiate and they were kind of pretend, pretending to ne negotiate back and um you mentioned an, an interesting term about anchoring where you know you have to once you've once you've mentioned kind of like how far you can drop low um you can then kind of like go the other way and try and get them in the middle 
or something. So it's, it's really interesting to hear all the different techniques and you're, you're clearly an expert. I mean, they threw everything at you, but you, you weren't holding anything back and you were quite firm in your negotiation. So yeah, you're definitely um, appreciated in the community. Is Cinnamon Toast Crunch still your favorite cereal? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. Listen, I, I am consistent. I am consistent. And you know what's funny about that? Ever since yeah. uh, talking about uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch on the, the in the TED Talk, like almost every presentation I go to, they have a they have a box for me. So I haven't bought Cinnamon Toast Crunch in a long time. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's 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 brilliant that's brilliant it's good to hear it's still your favorite cereal um, i'm trying to cut back on the sugar because i'm getting older like you but hey man i want to be able to dunk every year you know <laughs> just, it's just like what you do you know on your birthday so you're gonna stay fit and healthy um so yeah let's let's keep it moving so when we had when we had our interview on season two when i had you in a show in season two um at that time I, f- I believe we were in in the midst of um the george floyd co- um, conflict yeah. and we were in the midst of black lives matter um but uh, coincidentally this is this month is black is black history month so and i think it's just fit i think it's fitting that your book came out you know in this kind of period because obviously it's black history month and your book came out not too long ago um what was that was was there was there any kind of planning in terms of when your book um, was supposed to come out in terms of like the, the date was it planned in purpose or it's just coincidence it is just coincidence but listen if anybody asks you just say listen Kwame is a mastermind he planned it for black history month <laughs> in the uk <laughs> you know it's um black history month is uh is in february here in the states and i think it's it's really we were trying to get the book out as quickly as possible and we we got the we started these conversations in the fall of 2020. That's that's when we mm-hmm. actually started negotiating with different publishers and things like that. And um, the the publishing the traditional publishing route is very different from self publishing. You know, self publishing complete control. You put it out when you want to. But it's been really cool to do it on their terms and their uh, at their pace. It's a bit slower and more deliberate. But I think the the end product is ultimately better. And I'm just happy that it it ended up dropping at a time that made sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess it's a coincidence i mean it is wonderful when you're the timing that your book has dropped out it has been released um yeah i think um, for, for those of you who aren't aware um kwame christian has released a new book and it's called how to have different difficult conversations about race and essentially you know it, it basically i've over the past few years in recent in recent years i mean i think this has become a lot more important and i felt during the time maybe a year or two ago when all the the protests and the riots were happening around george floyd um i felt that it it was kind of quite significant to have those kind of conversations and um what's what's provoked you to kind of like release this kind of book now yeah so it's what i want to do with my books and the content whether it's the podcast or whatever it happens to be is i want to be where the toughest conversations are Uh, because the way i think about it is if you can handle yourself in a conversation with on on the topic of race which is very very sensitive then you can handle yourself in any difficult conversation and um, i was doing the audiobook recording the audiobook which is a lot harder <laughs> than i thought it was going to be sitting there just reading um, but the uh, the sound engineer who was uh, producing the book he was really interested cuz he said wow the the tools that you give in this book i could obviously use it in a difficult conversation about race, but I could use it in any difficult conversation. This is really helpful. And uh, yeah. that's what I really wanted to do because I want to make sure that the, the tools that people get from the book are portable. It's not just for this narrow situation. I want you to be yeah. able to apply it in any aspect of your life too. Excellent. And I think one, one, one common theme in, in a lot of your talks and your books is the compassionate curiosity framework. And of course, I I believe you've been, it's quite flexible. So you've been able to kind of use it in this book as well. I believe I've not read the book yet, but you know, from what I've seen from some of the highlights, you know, of course you do go into that a little bit. Um, So for those of you, for those of those, um, for the benefit of those listening or watching Kwame, who aren't aware of of the compassionate curiosity framework, could you quickly just um, recap what that is in terms of a, a negotiation framework? Yeah, so this is a framework that you can use in all of your difficult conversations, whether you're at work and or at home. And so it's three steps. First, acknowledge and validate the emotions. 
Second, get curious with compassion. And then third, joint problem solving. But it's designed not only for every single difficult conversation you have, it's also used as a tool of introspection, a tool of emotion management, and even bias reduction too. I just finished a presentation with a tech company before jumping on with you right now. And it was talking about how you can break through bias and how you can use this framework to break through bias in yourself and in others. So again, it's the exact same thing. Acknowledge your beliefs, your emotions, how you're feeling internally and then you're going to get curious with self-directed compassion asking yourself where did this come from how did i arrive at this conclusion and then on the third step joint problem solving where you're in in this situation you're reconciling the differences between your heart and mind what is it that would make you feel better in this scenario but then what is it that i should actually do when i think about it logically what is the right decision i should make in this situation so it's it's really really handy and really powerful but intentionally simple, because if you have something that's really, really complicated, it might make sense when you read a book, but then when you go out into the real world, you're not going to use it. Mm, mm. It's so true. You have to, that's a very key point there. And I mean, it's all well and good to read in books. It's all well and good to get in fury, but if you're actually not going to go out and apply it, it's not really going to work for you. And you're not really going to get the most out of that fury. So I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, and I think, I know one good example of you using the framework was, I, I remember when you did a TED talk and you talked about your, your, your kids. And I think, I think you're, you're one of your children and then the serial, I think trying to get mm -hmm. them to do something. I think you gave that example in terms of using the framework, but I think at that point it was still in its um, conception stage or it was still being developed. So yeah, I yeah. guess th this framework can be used for so many different ways. Okay. Definitely. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's let's dive a bit deeper into into the book. So, so you mentioned practical tools for necessary change in the workplace and, and beyond. Um, so that's that's like the um the, the second kind of heading, if you will, of the book. Um, what would you say are the are the, are the most common mistakes when when people are discussing race in, in in your point of view? Yeah, I think one of the things that people often do is they let the fear hold them back. That's big. Because coming into the conversation, we have to address the emotionality of it. We have to address why it's so tough to have the conversation. And this is something that you'll see both in my first book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, and this second book, How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. We start internally. We start with you, whoever you happen to be. What is your unique personal barrier to engaging wholeheartedly? Because the biggest mistake people make is that sometimes there's something that needs to be said and nobody says anything because they're too afraid. Something's holding them back. You know, it might be a fear of being missing understood, be a fear of being canceled or ostracized for their beliefs, whatever it happens to be, they don't engage. And then yeah. even if they do engage, that fear still holds them back from being as vulnerable and open as they need to be in order to create a, a true connection. So I think that that challenge of managing the emotions and overcoming that fear, that's really, yeah. really important. Okay, this is something that just popped into my head. I think it's very relevant. So I'm sure you know what's happening around Kanye West, right? I don't know if you've probably um, been this hmm. recently. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you gotta fill me in, man. Listen, listen, I'm sure listen, I'm... people, you, people, people, people think I'm joking. When in the book, when I say I don't watch the news unless two people tell me something, yeah. so now you, you, yeah. you've told, you've said it. Let me know. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I'm someone that doesn't really watch the news on a regular basis. I just get my news, you know, just, just throwing at me, whether it's in the gym, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Feedly, different platforms. So two things um, surrounding Kanye West. So one, um, of course, he, he released a, a bunch of T-shirts called White Lives Matter. Um, and I think it's the reverse psychology on a Black Lives Matter thing because, um, you know, I don't want to get into any controversy, but anyway, yeah. he released um, a clover line called White Lives Matter. And then the black communities um, started the uproar around it. And he's starting to get cancelled and, you know, people are starting to threaten him and things like that. But he's refusing to step down. You have the likes of Candace Owens who's supporting him. Um, and then what's happened also is that um, recently, I think J JP Morgan, I've just heard today, have cancelled Kanye West. So now he has to go and take his funds to another wealth wealth investment bank. So it's really, really crazy what, what, what's, what's happening over here. Um, so I guess my question to you is... Um, <clears throat> You have you have one side of you have one camp of people who are really comfortable in terms of addressing you know race and you know ad addressing the, their their fears, and then on the other side you've got people who are afraid to um, share you know how they really feel about certain 
um, themes and topics around race, and then and then they refuse to keep, keep quiet. Because, um, for example, there's one interview Kanye also did with uh, Fox, I think it was Fox News, and then he was talking about how when he supported, when he decided to support Trump or someone like that in, instead of somebody else, um, he was getting um, threats from the black community or whatever, saying, "Hey, you know." quickly change your opinion otherwise we're going to do this otherwise we're going to come and threaten you, your family we're going to come and kill you whatever um but he stood up he stood up um what do you see I, I'm, I'm sure you probably don't want you know monitor this guy a lot i mean we ain't, we ain't got time to monitor kanye you know right but i mean it's just content that i'm just that's just been fed to me um what do you how do you um what what, what kind of behaviors would you would you say um or characteristics would you say are, are are quite needed to to be able to kind of tackle you know controversy like this i mean to kind of deal with you know con this kind of co controversy and then on the other hand for those who are quite shy or scared or fearful to address you know r racial uh, matters that um that they want that they don't want to co come out and share because they feel they're going to be threatened how would you then how would that person address address those matters i hope that made sense so you got one camp yeah. and you got another camp so so i think this is an awesome case study because it it shows just how tricky and messy these types of things are and so for me let's just bring it back to one of the the key principles or beliefs that i have is that conflict is an opportunity Conflict is an opportunity. And before more so than getting into like determining who's right and who's wrong at this point, I think it's really, it, really important for us to slow down and recognize the opportunity that this situation presents us with for people like you and me and people all around the world to talk about this. Because clearly this situation stirs up a lot of emotions in a lot of different people for a lot of different ways. That's fascinating. That's interesting. And that's important. That's very telling. And so I think it gives us an opportunity to speak to our values. What are those values? What is it about this situation that makes it so emotionally um, challenging for us to, to deal with? And why is it that we feel such strong emotions about it? Because you can, if you tweak the case study, it becomes really interesting, right? Because if it's a white person who says, white lives matter and has a shirt that says white lives matter there might be an uproar but not the same kind of uproar that comes from the from kanye west doing it for him as a black man doing it it's really interesting and i think it speaks a lot to our psychology too just the psychology of tribalism because whenever these types of things come up it immediately spurs up a lot of emotionality number one mm -hmm. and then people immediately start to take sides and then they mm -hmm. immediately start to vilify <laughs> each other in the, in the yeah. interaction, right? But what's yeah. really not happening is communication. True communication is not occurring. What we're doing is we're taking the opportunity to show who we are by siding with the people who believe what we believe and showing who we are not to our tribe by attacking the people <laughs> that disagree with us too. And so there's a <laughs> lot of identity that's going into this. And that's one of the things that makes these conversations so tough. So one of the things I outlined in the book is that the two things that make these conversations about race so triggering for everybody is number one, identity, who am I, who, what, and what does it mean to be a person like me? And number two, morality, what does it mean mm -hmm. to be a good or bad person? And when those two things come together in these situations, rational thought often sits at the sideline and then we just start to attack each other. So I think it's, a, I, I think before we start picking like who's right, who's wrong, what's the right thing to do. I think again, just people, individual people like you and me, we could use this as an opportunity to talk to each other, learn from each other and connect instead of taking it as an opportunity to attack and pull ourselves further apart. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with that. Um, I guess there's more diplomatic ways to, go about tackling this kind of issue or making a statement um i guess you could argue that maybe certain people want want to want to take these actions because they want to make a statement they want to be heard they want the world to see so they have to do it in such a way where the whole world sees but i think from your point of view they, there are more diplomatic and more um clever ways to handle this which can cause a lot less uproar and solve more problems because at the end of the day i think your philosophy is more about okay, what's the problem we are trying to solve and how can we get there? And what do we need to do to get there? What is the why? 
you know so i think that's what i like about your way of tackling of, of resolving conflict because you always dive deeper what is the why where does this come from how can we get to the root of the matters and how can we break this down okay um what would you say are some of the the most common race related um kind of uh, discussions that 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 come up in in terms of like, your your arena yeah, great question, man. And and this is, l- let me preface my response with this, because with the book, we realized that if we just wanted to, if we just said how to have difficult conversations about the uh, about race and just left the title at that, um, I mean, the book would never be done. <laughs> I mean, it, like, there are too many things to talk about. And so yeah. for the per- context of the book, we focus on the workplace. And there's a reason for that, because the workplace is an important place. I mean, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. We spend more time at work than we do with our friends and family, which is wild yeah. when you think about it in terms of the ratio. And so for mm-hmm. me, when I'm thinking about the time we spend at work, I think it should be enjoyable. I think we should be able to feel comfortable and feel comfortable being who we are in the workplace. I also think that when we we're talking about the workplace, it's a very important location because we get a lot of our um, validation from work in one way or another. It's a source of our status, our social status in the community. It's also a source of wealth too. And so I I wanted to narrow down the conversation to a place where I felt like I had a little bit more um, credibility too, because with the trainings and consulting that we do with the American Negotiation Institute, we typically are focused on the workplace. So when I think about the patterns that I've seen, a lot of the conversations that come up deal with equity and inclusion. And so when I'm thinking about equity, Um, I'm talking about the perceptions of fairness within the workplace, not equality, like treating everybody equally, but in terms of disproportionate access to opportunity within the workplace. And so if people don't feel as though they're being treated fairly, number one, and then they feel like they're not treated fairly because of their race, that's something that spurs up a lot of emotionality. And that's what a lot of people are seeking to address when they're having conversations about race in the workplace. The other thing is when it comes to microaggressions. So Mm -hmm. microaggressions are these subtle comments that make somebody feel othered. And a lot of times they are done unintentionally, but they still have a negative impact on the other person. And so when somebody feels as though the comment is made and it's offensive and it has to do with a part of their identity, race, gender, sexuality, whatever it happens to be, um, in those types of situations, it becomes more hurtful. And so when you think about just any human interaction, just think about you with a significant other, you and your friends, Mm -hmm. here's the thing. If you spend enough time with somebody, you will undoubtedly offend them. That's just how humans work. (laughs) There's no Mm. doubt about that, right? Mm. But Mm. when you offend somebody and you'll do those, you'll do that unintentionally. Okay. But if you unintentionally offend somebody and they believe that it's done because of their racial identity, that hurts more. And so when I'm going into these different workplaces, that's something that often comes up because a lot of times when somebody commits a microaggression, they don't realize that they've said or done something offensive. So they continue to go on throughout their day. They don't know that they need to adjust. adjust. So it's often the responsibility of the person who has been harmed to then have that conversation and voice that concern. And that's really awkward to do. And so that's one of the things that comes up really, really frequently when I go in these different organizations and have these conversations. That's very interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that is a good point. I, I guess, um, at least in the UK, for example, um, we know, for example, in the UK, and, and like with the ethnic minorities, at least, they know they have to work harder or twice as hard to get to a certain position compared to you know the the not you know the the, the non black or the non Asian person, yeah. and and secondly, um, when when issues come up or when certain when they want to address certain rights, especially in the corporate, I see this mostly in corporate companies and enterprise level companies, maybe not as much in maybe not as much in small to medium companies, but I have worked in small to medium sized companies where there's been a little, little bit of discrimination where I am black and then maybe the owners are of a different race. And and I see this favor towards these people compared to me because of their color, and and then I'm like, mm, how can I say if I go off if I go off and say, well, but how come he gets this and how come he gets that and I how come I don't get that? You know, he may have a certain favor or a certain um, yeah favor with 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 the with the boss or whoever's up up top in authority, and then he they may be able to to do something to get me out of my job. Um, I'll tell you a story. Actually, I actually used to work for a Russian company a few years ago, and cut long story short, I got framed. I got framed um, for pretending to steal from 
an educational institution. Cut a long story short, I lost my job, right? I lost my mm. job. Someone framed me. They pretended that I wired some, I tried to wire some money from an educational institution. And essentially, um, you know, I had left my computer open. I had, you know, done all of these things. It was, it was quite stupid. I mean, to think that I was the one that did it. So of course I, I got evidence together. I proved them, you know, my father's a lawyer like you, you know, I showed it to him, you know, when he was in the country and, you know, I took it as far as I could in the, in the, in the court of law and nobody would listen to me. I, it, it, you know, and I lost the appeal and then I lost my job and whatever. But, and what, what, what reason why I'm sharing that is because the, the founder of the company and, and the managing director and, and of course the senior directors, they were all like from, they were all from like that, like Russia, Ukraine, you know, that area, that part of the world, um, mm -hmm. not, you know, no, no offense to them. Um, and then they kind of came together to conspire against me to kind of, for whatever reason, to get me out of the company, because clearly everything was going well in the company for me. There must have been a sense of jealousy from someone that I was performing well, or maybe because, or maybe they just hate me because of the color of my skin. So they conspired against me and then they got me out of this company. And eventually, all I was left with was a was a one month severance pay, and then I had to go off and do something else. So yeah, I don't, I totally get it. I totally get it. And you know, when you try to have difficult conversations, sometimes you know the odds are against you because you're from a different race than than they are, and you know you are you're pretty much at a disadvantage. Let's just say so. It is a difficult conversation to have because you know how can you go and say, oh, because of the color of my skin. Oh, is it because I'm black that, um, that that you're doing this to me? Are you discriminating me because I'm black or whatever? Because you know, even though I'm doing well, it's 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 such a tough conversation to have. Honestly, it really is. Um, but yeah, let's let's keep let's keep the show let's keep the show going. Uh, but for those of you who are tuned in, please you know hit, hit the like button if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment on the on the chat. Let us know where you're tuning in from. If you have any questions for Kwame, please do um, get them in the chat as we continue on the, with the show. Okay, cool. So, uh, Kwame, my next question is: um, I mean, what 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 would you say are some barriers to discussing uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? And first of all, before you even get there, I mean, what would you say is the the definition? How, how what would you explain diversity, equity, and inclusion? What would you explain that um that topic as? I mean, what would you what would, how would you define DE DEI? That's what they normally mm -hmm. um put as the acronym yeah it's a it? it's tough i think a, a lot of different people define it differently but this I, so i'll share my definition right so when i think about dei diversity we're talking about the the mix the racial diversity ethnic diversity gender diversity however it happens to be the mix of the people who are within the organization there's value to the organization to have diversity of thought and that comes from different places and then when we think about equity we're talking about equal access to opportunity so we're not talking about treating everybody equally right so if we're talking about treating everybody equally like somebody who is differently situated is going to need something a little bit different given their circumstances right so for me treating me the same way as somebody who uses the wheelchair is not really treating it might be treating somebody equally but it might not be treating everybody equitably given their circumstances and then when we're talking about inclusion Inclusion means the feeling of belonging. So I like blending inclusion and belonging together, right? So it's like, all right, cool. I'm a diverse person. I'm of a different race or I have a different background in whatever type of way in an organization. Do I feel comfortable there? Do I feel safe there? Because a lot of times, if we think about the distinction here, somebody, an organization might have high levels of diversity, right? initially. So for instance, let's use a, a law firm, for example. What mm -hmm. they do within a law firm is that they would have their summer associates who would come from the law school. So the law firm would say, all right, th these first year law students, we're going to give you a chance to, to be part of the law firm. 
And so then the, they become second year law students and they're still with the firm. Third year law students still with the firm. Then they graduate, they become part of the firm. Those first people at the firm, um, like those classes, they're typically pretty diverse. A lot of gender diversity, racial diversity, diversity of thought, whatever it happens to be. But what ends up happening is they have a retention issue because they check the box with diversity, but they don't do a good job when it comes to equal access to opportunity because people don't feel as though they could advance or they don't check the box when it comes to inclusion. I go to the, the workplace, but I don't feel like I, am, I, I belong at all. I just don't feel comfortable here. I don't like being here. Right. And so you have to check all three of those boxes. Now, when it comes to the challenges people have when it comes to these, I'm going to focus on my zone of genius here because I'm not coming in as somebody who's like a a DEI expert or somebody who's going to focus on political correctness and, and call like balls and strikes right and wrong, those type of things. I'm going to approach it from a skills expert, uh, expertise type of thing, because a lot of times when you think about just life in general, professionalism in general. One of the biggest things is that we don't take the time to learn how to negotiate, how to resolve conflict, how to communicate effectively, right? Because here's the thing about lawyers. People assume lawyers can negotiate really well, and a lot of them can, but a lot of them can't because (laughs) taking a negotiation and conflict resolution course, that's not required. The majority of lawyers graduate never taking that course. Then you think about the undergraduate degree. How many people have had the opportunity to learn about negotiation and conflict resolution? Then you think about primary school, high school, um, all of that, secondary education. How many times do we learn how to resolve conflict and communicate? I I leave Mm -hmm. high school knowing how to get the area of a triangle. Cool. I don't need that. (laughs) <laughs> but I talk to people every single day and, and I'm not taught how to do that, right? So there's a major skills issue. So if we th- realize that we as a society haven't been trained effectively on how to negotiate, how to resolve conflict, how to communicate effectively, and those are things that we have to do every single day in general, how then are we supposed to have these difficult conversations about one of the most sensitive issues out there? There's a skills gap. There's a massive skills gap. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this book, teaching people how they can have the conversation about this really sensitive issue. Powerful. Very, very true. Those are very, very, very true, true, true points you've just mentioned. I mean, not everyone, you know, not, I mean, there are maybe certain people maybe um, taught how to acquire certain skills um, and then maybe a certain race might be left out of that. So for example, one, one big example is I think in the UK here, I think the, the, um, the, the, the wealth gaps in terms of like, when you look at um, people that have, uh, properties that own properties so let's say um you know the white you know the, the whites and caucasians maybe they have let's say an average portfolio of let's say 10 properties and then you look at the asians who stick together maybe their average uh, portfolio is like maybe five properties per head but when you look at the black people the average per average black person let's say in the uk does not own one property i think this was like i think it was the financial times the guardian the telegraph one of the top um publishers in the uk they did this study and they came out and it showed that you know the black people were the least advantaged in terms of um you know wealth having access and having knowledge access to wealth but and also having access to knowledge to to acquire wealth and of course that's why you have a lot of people who are on the mission to um change this narrative and make it more positive um so this is very true everything that you're saying Kwame. it really is i want to thank you for explaining the dei as well yeah, my yeah. pleasure. Yeah, and it's and it's and the, the examples that you gave are those specific data points are new to me because I'm not in the UK, but they are very <laughs> familiar because similar <laughs> data points exist in the United States. And I so, what I want to do with with the tools of this book, I want change makers, I want advocates, people who want to make a difference and make the world a better place. I want them to use this as a guidebook for how they can negotiate and create that real change. And that's why we started that second podcast, because we have the the Negotiate Anything podcast, but we also have Mm -hmm. Negotiate Real Change, which focuses on how you can use the concepts from negotiation and conflict resolution to improve your workplace and improve your community and society as a whole 
to make it a better place and make the world more equitable. Because when we're thinking about the the, the real challenges that we face, if I, if there's one targeted way that I would want to address um, racism or inequity in general, it would be addressing structures that perpetuate these types of challenges, right? And so if we are a lot more targeted with our approach and we focus on policy change, those type of things, negotiation is going to be a part of that process. So we need to get skilled at it so we can negotiate more effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think someone said, I don't know who said it, but someone said um, the other day, I think free skills, if you can, if you have in life, you can get pretty much anywhere. That's communication, negotiation and sales, you know, and they're all kind of interlinked. They're all interlinked. All those free skills, they're all kind of interlinked. So that's very, very important what you said. And congrats on starting a new podcast. I'm starting a new Thank podcast you. this month as well. So hey, you know, soon kudos. to be revealed. Soon to be revealed. Soon to be revealed. So, you know, trying to, you know, get on your level, you know. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> let's, let's have a look at the chat. Let's see if we've uh, got any more kind of comments or points. Um, for those of you who are um, listening or watching, uh, please do get your questions uh, for, for Kwame in the chat before we um, end the stream. Uh, we got a message from Haley. Haley, thank you for for, for tuning in again. Uh, real life negotiation versus contract negotiation, hundred percent. So true, so true. Real life negotiation versus contract negotiation. Negotiate because the difference between real life negotiations. We use these skills every single day. You mentioned negotiation is whereby you want to get something out of the conversation right exactly every every day we want to get something out of it in our jobs and our personal lives every single day so yeah i really like that point from Haiti. really thank you so much Haiti, for for sharing that point um yeah let's let's go back into your to your book so um i think we've emphasized on the second part of what your book means and that is um how you know that you know the um the making the workplace more equitable so that's more equal if, if you will um and then now I want to focus more on you know, how to have difficult conversations in race. We have touched upon that, but I want to understand a bit more. Um, what are what are some of the um, what are some of the uh, what some of the success that that you've achieved from uh, you know the, the the book? I want to hear some stories because I mean your book sold out. I saw I saw you signing the book and everything. Is, is there any success stories that you can share? Yeah, I think it's it's really cool to see how quickly the book sold out. I think it was like the fourth day of week one. Um, it's, yeah. it's crazy to see just how how excited people were to get this content. And I think what I'm realizing is that the um, the hypothesis we had at the beginning was 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 true. So I remember having conversations with my um, with my my agent, my literary agent, talking about what we want the book to achieve, and then going out on the on the road doing these book tours, showing up. And actually talking to people who and and giving them the book and and having them interact with it, it was really cool to see some of those <laughs> some of those stories emerge just how we described it, like almost verbatim. So one woman came up to me and she's like, "Yeah, there was um this book is really really helpful for me. I'm really excited to get into this because I've read uh, during COVID. I was I." I recognized that there were a lot of racial inequities that I didn't even, I was not even aware of. So I started reading a lot of these books and learning more about it. And my, I became essentially woke is the way that she was describing it. (laughs) And, um, and so she's like, but the problem is I would talk to people. I would try to, I would try to share the information and help them to understand, but I couldn't break through. I would, I would talk about data, statistics, all those type of things, but I couldn't get through to people. And, but now I understand it was a skills issue. I didn't know how to persuade. I didn't know how to communicate on this topic. And so this is like the connection between what I've learned and then actually spreading that message to other people. Um, And that was something that we wanted to do with the book. The next one was um, somebody was in the, came up toward the, to the, to the conversation, the, the book tour. And um, it was an older white gentleman. And mm-hmm. when people were talking and sharing um, their experiences with racism or why this was necessary because of structural racism and things like that, he was sitting in the back and he was scoffing loudly, like, <laughs> you know, and so and then he he voiced his concern after a while. He's like, um, what he said specifically was, so does it go the other way? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, everybody talks about diversity and how we need to get more minorities into white spaces, but does it work with white people getting into black spaces? I was like, 
I, I'm a bit confused. Can you give an example? He's like, well, think about the NAACP. So a really storied organization in the, in the U.S. Like, okay. most, like all of the leadership is there is black. Um, it's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. That's the, like, it's like over 100 years old. And he's like, the leadership's all black. And I said, well, when I think about the, the challenges that we're having about diversity, I don't think that at least, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I haven't heard many people clamoring, many white people clamoring to be leaders in the NAACP. <laughs> so that's if true. that's if that's a if that's a challenge, then I think we could talk about that. But that's not what I've heard, and I think it comes down to the most desirable places seem to be lacking in diversity, and it comes down to power. And I said, listen, here's the thing. You know, I might be a bad person for saying this, but if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Kwame, would you like to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or would you like to be the president of the NAACP? I said, I'm a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Because I have access to money, <laughs> access to power and more social status. So that's why we're having these kinds of conversations. And so now I hear the people who like the the white allies and the people of color in the in the audience. Like I see them raising their hands. They want to attack this guy. They want to attack this guy. They want to attack him. <laughs> um, but what I did is I just used the compassionate curiosity framework. I acknowledged his emotions. I got curious with compassion and used joint problem solving. Right in front of them and so i said listen so it's oh oh that's cool i like that thank you <laughs> and and so i said listen so it sounds like you're you, this is really something that means something to you right this is important to you right so i calmed him down using the framework really helped him to understand these things got a bit deeper and then he was on our everybody's side like he took a picture at the end with everybody he was laughing and joking with people during the during the rest of the conversation he was part of our tribe at the end and one of the things that he said that was just what we we talked about with my agent was mm -hmm. this. He's like, yeah, I have these beliefs. I, I feel strongly about these things. And I want to talk to other people in my family. But like my young my young relatives, they come and they call me racist. They don't even talk to me. They just accuse me of things and they don't, they don't engage. And so what mm -hmm. I was talking about uh, with my my agent was this. I want this book to be written in a way that somebody could go to college learn about everything that's happening in the world. And then they say, oh my gosh, my family's racist. I have to have a conversation with them. And I also want this to be a book where somebody says, my grandkid came home and said, I'm racist. That's and powerful. I don't know how to talk to him, right? <laughs> and so he was right there. He was right there in there. You know, it's, it's crazy. So it's really cool wow. to see like the, the hypotheses actually yeah. coming out in the world, you know? So it's, it's catching on, man. It, it's a hot start with selling out of 3000 books in, in week one. And so um, it, I'm excited to see where this goes next. Well, we'll have to give you another clap for that. Well done, man. <laughs> well done. There's a different you. clap for you. A different clap for that. <laughs> yeah. different clap for Thank that. you. And, and speaking of the book, um, speaking of the book for those of you, Okay. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So those of you who haven't seen the book, <laughs> here is a copy of the book. Why are you hiding your smile in this picture, Kwame? Why are uh, you hiding your smile? <laughs> listen, man, my eyes are smiling louder. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know what the book looks like, this is the copy of the book. It's out everywhere. Um, I, I think at the end, we can tell everyone where they can go and get the book. I'm definitely getting myself a copy. If I find a hard copy in the UK lying somewhere, I will take a picture, I'll tag and I'll show you myself. Um, I appreciate so. that. Oh, Adrian, I check this out. Check the comment. We have a really good question here. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's bring, I was just about to get to that. So, wow. Haley, thank you so much for your question. She says, connected to that earlier comments on actually needing to apply lessons learned from a book, a similar situation, Kwame, how do you suggest addressing a mere lip service in a work environment that is that is predominantly white. In other words, a professional working environment where management knows there is an absence of color, but the narrative is not transforming into an actual change. Interviews are conducted with more than qualified candidates, but nothing materializes. I've been in that situation. Coming through the ranks in terms of internships and doing great, but then no appointment is made. How do you suggest lower ranked employees create a dialogue with real change? That's a powerful question. Yes, powerful I love question. this question. I love this question. Do you understand I mean, it? Shall I, oh, shall yeah, I, shall I keep absolutely. it on the screen or or can you? Yeah, let's, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah, you this is it? great because um, this is, again, Thank this you, is Haley. just like some of the scenarios we talk about in the book. Like this, this sounds like a case study. 
<laughs> right? And so a lot of times it, it's really easy to talk a big game, but it's harder to follow through. And so one of the things I talk about in this in the book is about holding people accountable to their own standards. The most persuasive person to a person is that same person, right? So the way I would introduce it is I would have the conversation talking about like congratulating them on what it is that they said that they were going to do. Hey, CEO, I was really excited to see what you said the other day in the meeting. What you said was, we want to diversify our workforce by hiring more people of color. And that was really encouraging for me to see because that's something that I've seen as an issue. And it's really encouraging to see that you see it as an issue too. Now, the problem is, important point, when we're making a transitional statement, what for transitional phrase, a lot of times we use the word but but we call but the great eraser. It just erases all of the nice stuff you said <laughs> previously. And so be, you know, it makes people feel a little bit sketchy, right? So, so I say the problem is uh, we've had a lot of interviews with qualified candidates and things have not really mater- materialized. And so we've said exactly what it is that we wanted to do and we've said it very clearly, but we haven't been able to follow through. And I want to get your thoughts on that. What is it that you think we can do to make sure that we actually follow through with that commitment. And so that's, again, what we're doing, compassionate curiosity. What we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge the emotion. Hey, I'm glad that to see that you said this, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you props for that, that I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge that emotion too, but then I'm going to transition to getting curious with compassion. I'm going to not accuse you of anything, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a problem solving question that's collaborative in nature. It's not you as the problem. It's you and me attacking the problem together. Right. So then you just flow through the rest of the conversation using that exact same framework. Let's say they start to get a little bit defensive. So I'll say, hey, before I continue, CEO, I just want to say, listen, I, I know this is something that you care about and I know you want this organization to, to do well. And I can tell that I can hear the passion in your voice. And so my goal here is to work with you to figure out a way that we can move forward. So once I see that things are starting to go off track when it comes to the emotionality and the, of the conversation and things are going to steer in the wrong direction, I'm going to take responsibility to address the emotions, slow it down. And then once they start to calm down, get back on track asking those good questions and then leaving that conversation with some level of commitment. And so when we, in the, in the book, Haley, once you get it, so chapter six, that's the compassionate curiosity framework. It'll show you how to have the conversation. And then chapter eight, that goes really deep into the advocacy portion. So like, how do I actually make that argument? How do I actually negotiate real change within my organization? Cause not all the conversations flow really easily and nicely like that. Sometimes you have to turn up the volume a little bit and there, there are strategies for that. That's just simple negotiation but applied to creating positive change in your workplace thank you for sharing that Kwame and Haley if you're listening you know feel free to you know go back you know to Kwame's answer over and over again on LinkedIn or even on YouTube Um, also on YouTube for those of you who are watching on LinkedIn or on Facebook you know you can subscribe and watch our channel there thank you for Kwame for your answer that was a very diplomatic way of approaching that um that difficult challenge there so Haley, I hope you got some value from that and hope the audience got some value from that as well um but yeah once again for those of you who want to grab a copy of Kwame's book um you know for for you to head over to um his website uh, in americannegotiateinstitute.com where else can everyone get your book Kwame yeah, so check it out, Amazon. We still have the Kindle version available. Audiobook coming out um, later this month, so that should that's uh, really exciting too. But yeah, I, I'm not as exactly sure when we're going to get more of the hardcovers. It takes some time, but hopefully later this month we can get that out in the hands of other people. You know, so the reviews have been really positive thus far, um, and I hope to just keep that going. And also in the meantime, check out the podcasts plural now so i have to emphasize that s right so we have three <laughs> podcasts actually two on the whoa the, busy uh, busy guy. podcast network yeah so we have negotiate anything it's the number one negotiation podcast in the world five days a week we have negotiate real change um that's a weekly show and then we have a spanish podcast called negociacion de cero and that's hosted by <laughs> Simon Perez. yeah repete repete what did you say yeah <laughs> is that negotiate, negotiate anything about in spanish no, it's negotiating, negotiating from zero. So negoci- <laughs> negociacion desde cero. So, okay. yeah. You must yeah. have my a Spanish, translation. Listen, my that Spanish that is one. a little bit rusty. We got well, a, somebody our, else our t- Yeah, somebody else <laughs> handles that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's I need great. to practice a bit more. That's great. Um, and where can I get all of the links? Will it be on your website or do they just yeah, have to search 
check out our website, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. That's the best way to get all of it. And yeah, if you're interested in negotiation training or uh, conflict resolution training, leadership training, all there too. So there you have it, guys. Uh, AmericanNegotiateInstitute.com. Head over there. The link is on the ticker. It's just running on the screen. If you want to get a copy of Kwame's book, if you can listen to his podcasts, if you want to get um, some content of his, some free resources, if you want to learn more about Kwame, everything to do with Kwame, it's on there. Um, um, but before we wrap up, unless there's any more questions, um, before we wrap up, Kwame, um, what, I mean, tell us about how um, you're, you, you've recently done a, uh, speaking on, on the, whilst we're on the t- topic of podcasts, you recently did a collab or a partnership with LinkedIn. Uh, how did that yes. come about? Oh man, it's cool. I've been yeah. very busy on LinkedIn. Yeah, it, I think it just came through consistency. Um, mm-hmm. Being being able to consistently grow a podcast over over six years, making it the the number one negotiation podcast in the world, and growing it to six million downloads, listeners into a hundred and hundred and eighty different countries. Thank you. <laughs> it's exciting, man. It's it's really cool. We, we got it up that big. And then I think the biggest thing was that I was always consistent on LinkedIn. And so as long as I keep on posting, I know good things happen. And so now we have 80,000 followers now. And it's just That's because big. you just keep on posting, keep on posting, keep on adding value. And so that created a lot of trust because LinkedIn yeah. is is not, um, they want to make sure that they're partnering with somebody where there's going to be some reciprocity. They're not just mm-hmm. going to give the platform to somebody who's kind of going to rest on their laurels. But now you saw with now that we have the collaboration with LinkedIn, I'm posting even more <laughs> about the podcast too. <laughs> Love it. You know, Love it. so it's a, it's Love a great relationship and they are incredibly supportive as well so it's been a great great move it's quite funny because i had a meeting with linkedin um today actually and they're very they're very supportive because um they were kind of showing us um the linkedin sales nav stuff and nice they're very 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 supportive um but yeah it's great to hear the partnership you got linkedin um it's really really fantastic and you're right i mean i encourage everyone who is on linkedin just try and do one post a day you know, or maybe start off with five posts a week, um, your life will change. I mean, the amount of, when I started to do this maybe three months ago or so, I've had so many interesting DMs and, and stuff. It's amazing. It will kind of take you on the, an amazing journey. So six years later, I'm sure LinkedIn has done wonders for you. We're rooting for you for 100K and and above. So you're really doing a good job, Kwame. Kwame, thank you so much for your time. Um, I don't know if there's any final announcements you want to make. Is there any last, last words you want to share with the audience? The, the floor is yours. Yes. So final announcement is just take what you've learned today and put it into practice. Um, if you happen to interact with another human being in the next 24 hours, you'll have an opportunity to use the compassionate curiosity framework. So acknowledge emotions, get curious with compassion and joint problem solving, and just practice, practice, practice. Don't make this an, an intellectual exercise because then you'll do a lot of thinking and, a, and not a lot of acting. So make sure you practice it so it becomes a lot more natural for you. Thank you so much, Kwame. So there you have it, guys. Kwame Christian, CEO, founder of American Negotiate Institute. He's also the uh, host of the Negotiate Anything podcast. I've got the name of the podcast on the ticker. Pull it in Apple Podcasts, whatever you can, wherever you listen to your podcast from. Number one negotiation podcast in the world. I do listen to it. And he's also launched two other podcasts, which I didn't know about. So, you know, go onto his website, AmericanNegotiateInstitute.com and go and find out about it. And more importantly, go and grab the new book, um, how to have difficult conversations about race, practical tools for necessary change in the workplace and beyond. We did discuss this if you're just tuning in. Again, where they can get the book apart from the website, Kwame, once again, before we head off. Yes, check out Amazon. That's the best spot to get it. Amazon, there you go. A- Amazon is the everything store, as as they say. So go, oh, yeah. was it Walmart? Was it Walmart? I don't know. But anyway, go <laughs> go go on Amazon and, and put, a, put, put the book in the Amazon. You're going to see a lot of interest and stuff. Kwame Krishnan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. No problem. And those of you listening, feel free to uh, check us out on thesoundofacrowd.com or pull us on YouTube everywhere and you'll be able to learn more about us. And yeah, we have season four coming up and season five coming up as well, which will be recorded and filmed in Ghana. So make sure you stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. We out. Take care. Ah, end the stream, Dave. End the stream.